Hi, this is Christian Kuhn of Urban Village Church in Chicago. It is good to be with you again this week, friends, as we are in this holiday weekend, and I hope you are enjoying yours. As I noted in my podcast last weekend, this will be the last uh, podcast that I record for a few weeks. I'm taking a renewal leave, and uh, so others will be preaching at Urban Village River North. Uh, So I encourage you to go to our website and listen to them. But today I am uh, preaching from the Gospel of Mark. Uh, This is from Mark 6, uh, verses 1 through 13. And it's a story of Jesus coming to his hometown of Nazareth and the responses that people have to him. So hear these words. Jesus left that place and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. On the Sabbath he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astounded. They said, Where did this man get all this? What is this wisdom that has been given to him? What deeds of power are being done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James and Joseph, and Judas and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Then Jesus said to them, Prophets are not without honor except in their hometown, and among their own kin, and in their own house. And he could do no deed of power there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and cured them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. Then he went about among the villages teaching. He called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He ordered them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. He said to them, Wherever you enter a house, stay there until you leave the place. If any place will not welcome you and they refuse to hear you as you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed all that should repent. They cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and cured them. May God's blessing be on the reading and living out of this word. So some folks have asked what I'll be doing on my renewal leave, and I'm excited to say that a lot of that time I will be in Europe. Uh, The first part of that, I will be taking a pilgrimage around England. Uh, The founder of the Methodist movement, John Wesley, who lived in the 18th century, I'll be following in his footsteps, in a sense, along with about 25 or 30 others from the United Methodist Church. And whenever you think about packing, I'll be there for about four weeks, not just in England, but in Germany and a little bit in Prague as well. Certainly, you have all kinds of things that you have on your mind about what to pack for the trip. Uh, just the other day, I was clicking on one website that gave me a lo- this list. Well, the list was encouraging me to make sure you pack light. You don't need as much as you think you do. So uh, later this week, I will put that list to the test to see if I can do it. But in addition to packing material goods for a trip, I think many of us, especially if we go on a longer trip or if we travel internationally, there's some other little things that weigh on us that we, in a sense, pack, whether we like it or not, and that is perhaps anxiety or nervousness that we carry with us. What am I missing? What am I going to be without once I go into this different country? My wife is, uh, this came up for my wife a little bit when we were discussing our trip. Uh, She and my kids will be coming over for part of this time in England. And for her, there's a unique situation. Anne was in England in around 1988 or so, 89. And uh, she was there and was working for a travel magazine. And they had, she could only work in England for a certain amount of time. And then she had to leave the country and then come back in. And the person that she was working for had said, I'm going to work on getting you 
a work visa to allow you to stay in England longer. And so Anne left the country and then came back in. And when she went to uh, the authorities to try to get back into England, they said, well, do you want a work visa or a travel visa? And Anne wasn't sure whether the work visa had come through. And so she wasn't sure and she hesitated. And the authorities there at the border did not appreciate uh, her lack of a definitive answer. And so essentially they kicked her out of the country. Or they said, you've got a week we're going to hold your passport. You've got a week to gather your things, and then you've got to go. And Anne has not been back to England since. And so the other day, she, there was a little part of her that thought, what if on some list uh, there is my name flagged, like never let this person into this country again? I have to believe that there is no list like that, that the people of England are going to warmly welcome uh, Anne back into the country. But still, there's this little thing that is weighing on her. And I think when she uh, tries to give her passport to get into England, that's going to be something that she is uh, packing with her in addition to the other things that are in her suitcase. Well, my trip isn't the only reason I'm talking about packing today, because I'm really interested in this text today and Jesus' instructions to his disciples. He sends them out to live out, to share the gospel in different ways, to cast out, the text tells us, to cast out demons. And so he tells them what they need uh, to take with them. He called the twelve, the text tells us, and sent them out two by two, gave them authority over the unclean spirits. And the text says he ordered them to, here's the list, take nothing for their journey except a staff or walking stick, but take no bread, no bag, no money in their belts. You can wear sandals, the text tells us, but don't put on two tunics. You only need one tunic. So according to this text, then sandals, staff, and one tunic are all the things that he needs or one needs. Talk about packing light. So Jesus has the packing light thing down to a science. But one thing that Jesus does not pack, as far as we can tell, does not pack, and that would be understandable if he did, and that would be a non-physical item, an emotional item, perhaps like I talked about earlier, when you pack for a journey and you may pack nervousness or anxiety or other things, Jesus could have packed something else on this journey, could have told disciples perhaps to pack something, but he doesn't. Jesus could have packed discouragement. He could have packed a sense of rejection. He could have packed an altered vocation or call in addition to his staff and tunic and sandals. Now, what do I mean by this? Well, let's go back a little bit to these first six verses in this text from Mark. So here we see, and in fact, let's jump back a chapter to chapter five. In chapter five, Jesus is doing amazing things. That chapter tells us that he enacts these three amazing healings. He heals or restores a demon-possessed man. He raises a girl from the dead, and he heals a sick woman. So the word about Jesus, no doubt, is spreading. So he comes then to his hometown of Nazareth, and he first goes to the synagogue, and he teaches. And the text tells us the people are amazed by his teaching. So now, really, Jesus is on a roll. After all these healings, he's now teaching with authority. But then... The people in his hometown, they start asking questions. Where did this man get all this, is one question. What is this wisdom that has been given to him, another asks. What deeds of power are being done by his hands? And I ask these questions. At some point, I I wonder if there was someone in the crowd who kind of scoffed and wondered, who is this guy? Some really interesting thoughts about 
uh, Jesus as a carpenter and perhaps um, how he might have been bringing shame on his family in, in speaking in this way. One scholar notes that Jesus was a member of the working class. So he wasn't poor necessarily, but he was lower than the educated class. The educated class, those are the ones who could devote themselves to study and, and learning the law, learning the Torah. So villagers would commonly resent those who attempt to elevate the position above that to which they are entitled by the birth. This is from the New Interpreter's Bible uh, Commentary. The attempt by Jesus' family to stop his wandering and public preaching in Mark 3.21 implies from the perspective of the village that Jesus was thought to be dishonoring his family. So in a sense, Jesus is bringing some shame because he's trying to go outside of his place in society. He's working class. He's a carpenter. And in that time and place, people thought to themselves, this is what you are. You stay there. You do not go outside of this status in your society. And they will do other things in order to get you to stay where you are. And so they're not going to believe what he's teaching. They want to literally put him in his place in the social order. You belong here. You're in the working class. You're just a carpenter. You do not belong with the educated, those who are doing and sharing and teaching. Stay in your lane, in other words. I don't know about uh, you, but um, uh, I enjoy riding my bicycle. And uh, in the city, in Chicago, there are some really good bicycle lanes, especially one along Dearborn. This Dearborn takes you north-south through the heart of Chicago, and there are now designated bicycle lanes uh, and it makes it much easier to ride in, in through the loop. And so I've tried to take advantage of this myself. And I must confess that when I'm in the bicycle lane, I'm not very gracious. Because in my mind, and it's like literally painted on the street, there are bicycles. This is the bicycle lane. No one else is supposed to be in the bicycle lane. Trucks aren't supposed to pull up there to unload deliveries. And certainly pedestrians are not supposed to be standing in the bicycle lane in order to get a head start to cross the street. Now, I know it's challenging because this is still a fairly new uh, lane, and so people aren't quite used to it, especially on Dearborn, which is one way. And so people will often look one way, and they don't look the other way to see if you are coming. So I will confess to getting kind of perturbed at pedestrians who are standing in the bike lane. I will say, excuse me, that's on my better days, but other days I may, uh, uh, I will neither confirm nor deny uh, using an expletive or two for people who are standing in the way that forces me to stop or swerve or whatever else. When I get on that bike lane, when I get on my bike, it's like I only want bicycles there. I do not want other people there. Stay where you are. Pedestrians belong on the curb. Cars belong on the street in their designated parking areas. The bike lane is just for bikes. We all are to just stay in our lanes. And the people of Nazareth had that same belief system. You stay where you are. You stay where you are in society, and you don't go outside of that. Jesus is doing this, and this is threatening the social order. And, as I noted, it's bringing shame to his family as well. Has that ever happened to you where people are trying to place upon you a sense of identity, of who you are supposed to be? They place a story on you, like, this is who you are. This is who you will always be. So people identify you, name you as something, and they want you to stay that way. And when you try to get out of that, then people get nervous and anxious and maybe do some things 
uh, in order to bring you back to where it's comfortable for them. And when we allow people to do that, that's baggage that we carry with us. If we're not truly living into and what we are supposed to do, and sometimes going outside of our lanes, when we allow others to put this baggage on us and put these stories and identity and names on us, this begins to weigh us down and does not make us, I think, the people that that we are called to be. And that's what's happening, I think, a little bit in this text as well. Jesus has a decision to make. He can either to he can either agree with the people of Nazareth and think, well, yes, I'm just a carpenter. I'm just the son of Mary. But instead, as we see, he doesn't do that. He names it. He says, you know, prophets are not without honor except in their hometown. And he could do no more deeds of power because of the unbelief. And so Jesus then Instead of just saying, you're right, I'm just a carpenter's son, I'm going to stay here with you, he continues to go out among the villages to teach and calls his disciples to do the same. And that's when he tells them, pack light. You don't need to take much with you, and you certainly don't need to take with you that emotional baggage that others are trying to place on you as well. I was reading this story that I think is appropriate for this weekend, this 4th of July weekend will be uh, probably hearing and reading a lot about what does it mean to be an American and a patriot and all these things, and there's not necessarily anything wrong with that. But uh, sometimes stories like the one I'm about to tell don't get told quite as often when we think about what does it mean to be an American. Story goes at uh, Emory University a few years ago at a, a commencement address, and commencements often are, there's a, kind of a low buzz. People are talking amongst one another and not always probably listening to what's happening up on the stage. But a man named Hugh Thompson was giving the commencement address. And as he began to tell a story, the crowd started to get quieter and quieter about what he was saying. Hugh Thompson was an Army helicopter pilot, chief warrant officer in Vietnam, served in the Vietnam War. And on March 16, 1968, Chief Warrant Officer Thompson and two of his crewmen were flying on a reconnaissance message, uh, mission over the South Vietnamese hamlet of My Lai. And there they spotted the bodies of men, women, and children strewn over the landscape. He landed twice in an effort to try to figure out what was going wrong, and then he realized that a massacre was taking place. The second time he touched down near a bunker in which a group of about 10 civilians were being menaced by American troops. You may know have heard of me lie. Later on, it would come that approximately 500 men Older men, women, and children, no soldiers at all, were murdered, massacred by American troops. And it was tried to, uh, there was a cover-up to try to hide what had taken place. But Thompson flies into this. And as he does, he realizes he has a decision to make. After all, he's a soldier. And as a soldier, his story, his identity is to help his fellow troops. That is staying in his lane. Do what you were told But as he landed, he was not weighed down by this. He did not take this on his own journey. He did not stay in his lane. In his speech at Emory, he described it, and he said this, that as he was there in the midst of it, he remembered the words of Jesus that his parents taught him, who said, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. He realized he was more than just a soldier who followed orders. He was one who had to save others who were being massacred. 
And so using hand signals, he persuaded the Vietnamese to come out while ordering his crew chief and gunner to shoot any American soldiers who opened fire on the civilians. And none did. He went back, returned to his base, was screaming and saying what happened, but it never at first didn't come to light what had happened. But he began to tell his stories in different ways, in different contexts. And he realized when he returned home that he was the one who was viewed as the guilty party. Many years later, he gave an interview and he said that he received death threats over the phone. In to 60 Minutes in 2004, he said, dead, animal, dead animals on your porch, mutilated animals on your porch some mornings when you get up. So I was not a good guy. For 30 years, he was not a good guy because what he did, because he went out of his lane, because he wouldn't take what others had tried to place on him. When you're a soldier, you do what you're told. Instead, he thought to broaden what does it mean to truly be a soldier, especially what does it mean to be one who remembers those words of Jesus. He was later, in 1998, awarded the Soldier's Medal for heroism, not involved conflict with the enemy, 30 years after the fact. But I love this story for so many reasons. Because he wasn't going to be dictated what to do. There was something that he was following, a higher power, a higher level of authority in order to respond to what he was seeing in there, in his midst. We are called, certainly I'm sure none of us will have something as dramatic happen to us as it did with Mr. Thompson, but we too are called to not carry with us the stories and the burdens and the unnecessary expectations that are placed on us. We are called to pack light, to take only what is necessary. If there have been things that have been uh, placed on us, identities or names or whatever, we are not called to carry that with us. Jesus doesn't. He sends the disciples out. He tells them, go and heal body and soul. And they do. They pack light. They do not take rejection with them. They do not take the voices that say, this is not who you are. They do not listen to those who say, just stay in your lane. They go out and they proclaim, all should repent. And they cast out, the text tells us, many demons and anointed with oil, many who were sick and cured them because they packed light, because they did not listen to others who said, this is what you need to do. Just stay where you are. Stay with your status. Do not make waves. They were able to do amazing things. And that's what we are called to do as well. To listen first to the words of Christ, who tells you and me, who sends you and me out and gives us authority, I think, to heal others in our own way too. And sometimes we may be asked to do that and others are uncomfortable with that, saying, well, no, that's not what you are. That's not who you are. Stay the person that I expect you to be. Stay the person that makes me comfortable. And yet we're not supposed to listen to those voices or those stories. We are called to listen to Christ who sends us out. And so... Pack light, friends. Take only the words of Christ who calls us to go and heal. And if that calls us to go outside of our lanes, even if there's someone who's telling you to get out of the way, ignore them. Because if Christ is calling us to heal and to go to places where that makes others uncomfortable, that is where we are called to go and to be. That is our true calling. Be-
Amen. Well, friends, thank you for listening to uh, the podcast today. And uh, one more time, go to urbanvillagechurch.org and you can find podcasts there over the next few weeks to hear our other pastors. Uh, And I would ask for your prayers for me as I go and uh, hopefully find some renewal in Europe. Um, And so I will be back in mid-August and we'll be recording once again. So until then, feel free to reach out to me. Uh, And I'll respond to you when I return. And I pray that the peace of Christ be with you. And thou, my true word, I ever with thee, and thou with me, Lord. Thou and thou only, first in my heart. Great God.